fucking deep. I like it. These guys are jerks. Fucking deep. Bless you, boys. Young men expressing themselves. Unbelievable. Fucking deep. Put it in deep. Look it. I have never seen a bunch of guys look so fucking down when something bad happens. What are you guys, like prima donna perfect that if you can't fucking handle adversity? So shit's not going right. Fucking get your heads out of your ass and fucking make it work by outworking the opposition. Outwork the fucking guys. If you want it, don't just think you want it. Go out and fucking want it. But you're not looking like you want it. You look like you're feeling sorry for yourself. And nobody fucking wants anybody that's feeling sorry for themselves. You got 20 fucking minutes, you're down by one fucking shot. Surely the fuck we can deal with this. You know, get pucks deep, bring the puck deep. Put pucks in deep, just put the puck deep. Getting pucks out, getting pucks deep. Pucks in deep, pucks in deep, pucks deep. Pucks deep, keep getting pucks deep. All right, everybody, welcome back. Pucks and Deep podcast. Let's go. Why didn't Sheldon Keefe just play that audio? I, I would play that on loop, just the entire intermission. You know, I know we joked a lot about potentially bringing in Bruce Boudreau as an assistant or something. I, and I wish they did just so he could have laid that gem of a speech on them because I was it was echoing in my head as I watched those last three hockey games where it's just like, that's just how I, how I felt. And, and anyway, we'll get into it, but I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to say, I would play that audio on loop for the whole off season. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go and watch the speech or bring it to training camp and just have it on the, you know, first skate. It's just blaring over the loudspeakers. Don't just go out. Don't just want it. Go out there and fucking want it. It's got to be an all-timer. It's one of my favorites. All right. Episode 83, Pucks in D podcast. Thank you for joining us once again. Been a while since we spoke to you, our listeners. We had our debut live show after game one of the Leafs and Habs series. And, of course, we are going to touch on that later. Don't you worry. But... Lesko, my friend, my brother, had some difficult times last few weeks, last couple weeks here. After game one, game two, I guess just I'll throw it to you, my friend. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad we're back here doing the show. I was really feeling for you, and I know a lot of our listeners were too. Got a lot of good support from our listeners. Yeah, definitely the support, outpouring of support from the Pucks and Deep community, the local community, the CNL community, all that has been uh, overwhelming over the past, uh, I guess it's been a week and a half or whatever. It's hard to keep track of days there. I just started work again this week. so Right. Um, but yeah, it was, it was tough. You know, we had a lot on the agenda, the Leafs playoffs. We recorded a show on Tuesday. We think we finished pretty late, dicking around with... Uh, setting up the live show and making sure we had everything right. And uh, unfortunately, my dad went to the Emerge on Tuesday. I spent the night there with him pretty much. 
and uh, and he got admitted to ICU on uh, on I guess it was Wednesday. So that show uh, that show we did on Thursday, the live show was kind of secondary. I, I thought we did a good job, and I really enjoyed it. And I know he would have wanted me to be doing it, and I was hoping. You know, I was sending the messages, hoping that they, my mom and dad would have tuned in for it uh, while they were there. Um, so, yeah, basically what happened after that is just a combination of issues, mostly related to uh, my dad's disease. So my dad has been battling a rare disease called multiple system atrophy, or commonly known as MSA, or not commonly known at all, I guess. Not commonly known at no, all, I think, um, is the right way to put it. Yeah, it's it's commonly misdiagnosed as Parkinson's disease, and that's basically what happened to him. He had to fight pretty hard to get a proper diagnosis and see, you know, a top neurologist, uh, thankfully, that my aunt was able to hook him up with in London, Ontario, to actually get a diagnosis. And that was a, a little over three years ago. So I've, I've known that this, this day was going to come for... About three years, and at the time, I w- we were given two years. So, uh, I think the fact that he lived an additional year is a testament to the kind of guy he was. Um, he was a fighter, you know, selfless human being, um, but did things his own way. It's a, uh, you know, it's it's a, a like a nasty fucking debilitating disease. You lose your, you know, you lose your motion, you lose organs, you lose. You know, you, they told him he couldn't eat two years ago. He stopped eating four weeks ago. I mean, he just did things differently than, than I guess, what was prescribed to him. Um, ultimately, they, they allowed him to make his own choices. And, and I think, you know, come Saturday night or, or Friday, you know, when when uh, basically it was deemed that he was palliative and I was able to get in the ICU and he made the decision, you know, to, to uh, you know, take that path where acknowledge the state that he was in and uh kind of make the decision to to go to sleep until until further notice um you know it, it was i had a pretty real conversation with the doctor he was very clear and he was very great and you know of course shout out to everyone at the pepper hospital he's been phenomenal not just over that event but over the several nights and weeks we had spent there previous to that um but he, uh, you know, I asked him, I was like, how long do you think he's got? And, and you know, hours, are we talking days, what, what are we looking at? And he said, well, you know, given circumstances and, and his condition and how far late stage he is in this disease, it, you know, probably evening, probably overnight, unlikely we'll see him in the morning kind of thing. And, of course, in typical Randy Lesko fashion, he continues living until literally the last final minute of the third period after William Nylander, I believe, scored an empty netter uh, to seal the game for the Leafs to beat the Canadians first time since in the playoffs, first time since he was 10 years old. Right. So uh, that's poetic justice if I ever did hear it. And, uh, you know, no one will take that away from me. I'll believe that, go on carrying that around with me. And, you know, you just want to watch one more game together and see them win and, so we were all there together. We got to have some pretty beautiful kind of family moments, I guess, on Friday before he 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 was you know given opiates and stuff and put to sleep. Um, you always kind of romanticize what that looks like, right? You you picture you picture like you and your family sitting there and holding hands and and having that. But I honestly never thought I was going to get that. Mm-hmm. So I feel very privileged and fortunate to have had that moment. Because my greatest fear always was I was going to get a phone call one day. Yeah. And that was going to be it. And and given, you know, 
the the kind of things that knock you off when you have this disease are not necessarily uh, the disease itself. It's it's the medical events that occur. The, he's had pneumonia several times, UTIs, things of that. And, they, and you know, it was a UTI that brought him there in the first place. Um, and and there's a problem with when your muscles start failing and your body stop stops working how it should, you where you don't manifest syst- symptoms anymore. So detection of these things is is very difficult. Um, there's it's it's difficult too when you're when you're dealing with, you know, for example, when I went to the ER, I, you know, the guy asked me like, tell me about this atrophy he has. Well, I was like, how much fucking time do you got? Mm-hmm. Because I could, do you want the seven year history or do you want what's going on recently? Or, you know, I understand that doctors don't know everything, but they have the ability to learn and understand better right. than the average person. Right. Um, so it's, it's, it is difficult when when there was a huge learning curve, not just for like our physicians and 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 every time you we went to the doctor or the hospital, but for us as a family to learn what was coming and and how to best prepare for it and how to ensure that he had the greatest quality of life um, throughout the years because it's you know I, I'd say it's been a year and change since since he walked. And that was difficult for him to let go of. Again, him being him, he fought for everything, every step, every bite, you know, every every word. You know, it, it, he always insisted on talking right to the end, even though it was easier for our sake for him to type something. But that was difficult too because, mm-hmm. you know, you're losing motor skills. I mean, he couldn't drive for the last two years or th- two and a half years, maybe three years of his life. I can't even remember now. It's just kind of slow slow burn sort of thing but um i mean that's all the negative of it and i just wanted to convey some understanding of of kind of what what we went through you know as a family what he went through and and the the silver lining for lack of a better term here is that he's not suffering anymore right and i took some some uh uh i got some peace out of that you know and uh like I said, he was ready. He, was, he knew this was coming for quite some time and already had outlived expectations. But I think the fact that he lived that long is a testament to what we did as a family and most importantly what my mother did, you know, looking after him and, and being there for him because it would have been easy to throw him in a nursing home or yeah. something like that because it was that level of care required towards the end with the amount of meds that were involved, the feeding, the cleaning, the you know, lifting him in and out of bed, all that kind of shit. Right. So, and we were also very fortunate to have the means to, you know, ensure that he had the right equipment and stuff that we needed in the house. So, but, uh, it's, it's not something that, you know, defines who he is in my mind. You know, I'm trying my best to remember. I mean, there's some positive aspects that came out. Just like I said, like it was really a testament to how hard he fought and kind of person he was, but he also, you know, he achieved so much in his life. Like, you know, when he retired from Canadian Nuclear Laboratory, he's the vice president of operations, chief nuclear officer. That's some of the shit he's most proud of. Some of the stuff he's most proud of is, is some of the, the you know, the uh, largely female colleagues that he had brought with him on his way to the top of that company that he worked for for 36 years in a completely male-dominated industry. I was going to mention that. Science, engineering. Especially back when he would have first started. Absolutely, yeah. And, 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 you know, one of his best friends who was with him right to the end and and joined us for the service, like she, you know, 
she and, and many others speak glowingly of, of what they did, what he managed to do, not just for for that facility up there, but for a lot of people's careers. And, and I think that's something that, that's a big part of his his legacy. And, and that's kind of the stuff that, that, you know, we want to remember him for. And, you know, as a friend also, but as a coach, you know, he coached us in hockey and, and uh, you know, as a teacher, like he was a good, he was a good teacher. He was a brilliant man. Um, just superior genetics that, you know, maybe my sister and I might not ever live up to. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like I always say it, and I, and I mean it in the truest sense, but it's like if I could live up to be half, and I told him this, I live up to be half the man that you are, I call that a win because yeah. like he's just, he was just this larger than life guy. Big you know? shoes to fill. Yeah, you know, I actually wore his shoes to his funeral, and they fit pretty good, surprisingly. <laughs> like, because he's like five eleven, he's bigger feet than me. Right. He also right. started shrinking towards the end too. Right. Well, you, from being like kind of crumpled, you, but you, you didn't get his height. But let's hope that let's hope that you got his intelligence, right, and his and his drive to be the best that he could be. And I do see that from you, as as his son, you know. And I spent a lot of time with Randy and your family growing up specifically, you know, when we were younger in age, but I find that to be more impactful and more significant than if I only had met you three years ago and we decided to start a podcast together. Now, of course, you know, Randy's condition would have limited my ability to interact with him, but, you know, throwing it back to grade, you know, six, seven, five or whatever it was, you know, I mean, those were some, those were some awesome memories and yeah. I'm really happy that I, that I have those. And I, I wanted to throw it back to something you said early when you started chatting there on your father. I didn't realize that he went so long without being correctly diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Cause when I was reading from the obituary was that he had, and from, you know, knowledge from us talking about Randy as well. Um, I had known that he had had something mm-hmm. for about a seven year period. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. And then even, I don't even think we had a Parkinson's diagnosis air quotes right. until I want to say like 2015, I want to okay. say or 20, 2015 or 2016 when I, I found that out. So a, f- a couple of years in, but there was something noticeably off. Like the shuffling started the, hunch like you could tell the muscle rigidity was setting in he couldn't sign his name well or, or grip utensils well like stuff like that the early some tremors right you know followed by a plethora of other issues but there were some early indications that something wasn't right and it was noticed by a few of us um and it was you know it, was, it took them a while like i for better or for worse my my parents did shield us my sister and i for a while and and weren't I shouldn't say they weren't honest with us, but they not they as forthcoming, not as forthcoming. And I think, and, and, you know, I don't know, like, you know, dad was a big listener in the show and, and I never really got into it, but you know, back when we started the show and you proposed this idea to me three years ago, I said, well, here's my situation. And I can tell you, I can be only so committed because if something happens, I got to be there. Or if he needs me, I'm going to be there. And, and that, I guess it was what's been so fortunate about us being close by is that I was able to play a, a big role and, 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 you know, continue to develop a good relation, a good adult relationship with my dad, even if it was under shitty circumstances, because really, again, this, again, 
due to his hard work and us being very fortunate, we got to spend a lot of great time together and do a lot of cool things. We got to travel together and my mom and, and him went all over the world, you know, while he was still able to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he got to travel quite a bit too, right? As, mm-hmm. as a result of his position Correct. with, yeah. with CNL, right? Because that's, that's one thing uh, that I definitely take away from our childhood friendship, which you know, if we throw back the the clock, you know, it was pretty close back then, and we grew apart in over the high school days. But I think that's status quo for a lot of friends. Um, but you know, dating back to when we were close, there were just there were lots of times where you know, Randy just wasn't there. Like, yeah, where's he's Randy? He's in Germany. Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah, in Russia he's or in Germany. Japan or something like <laughs> he's that. He's in Prague. Like, yeah. Like, oh my goodness, what's going on there? Yeah. But your kids, so you don't really, you don't really comprehend what he's doing no. at that time. No. I mean, maybe you did more than me because you're his son. Yeah. You knew it. That's the schedule. But like for me as your friend, it was like, well, Randy's not here today. Oh, Randy is over. Okay, it looks like we're playing outside because we can't go destroy your <laughs> yeah. we can't go destroy your basement yeah. with Randy over, you know, but we yeah, used to the enforcers here. Yeah, yeah, like we used to put him through quite a bit of uh uh, you know, I, I guess uh, anguish, you could call it, uh, yeah. busting things up. There was a lot of yelling, <laughs> a lot of yelling when there was a crashing sound in the basement. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just hear the clap of like ripping a puck or something and then hear a smash and then we'd hear it from him pretty good. I was, we were reminiscing about um, something that he did and I was, oh, I was joking with my, my sister's husband because like he's, hasn't been around that long. Right. Um, and I'm like, man, you weren't around when he was, used to, you know, like drop the shoulder into you in the hallway or like in the, in the kitchen, just plant you into the fridge. Keep your head up. That's what he'd say. Keep your head up or hip check you. Just drop the hip on you walking by you. I was like that. I was like, you, ne- you never had to deal with that. I was like, there were times where I swear to God, he knocked the wind out of me doing that. Well, oh, keep your head up. Just walk away. Like, like, can't do that in this day and age. Off ice lessons, you know, just just in the in the kitchen or the living room occurred Man. frequently, and I I don't know if he ever did that to you guys, uh, I, but I know he did that to, to us all the time. And yeah, nowadays you'd probably get your fucking I don't know we'd be child see, services. See child services would be oh, showing up. Easily. My wife would show up and take us easily. You know, it, it, it's funny you, you talked about off ice. You know, we'll talk about on ice for a second, and I think. Th- I'd have to say the most the most significant memory that I have of your father is without a doubt screaming his lungs out at you yeah. on the ice <laughs> on the ice for various reasons. Yeah. He could see that you were beelining it into the corner and you were gonna you were just gonna we talked about this before on the podcast you were gonna do whatever you had to do to fuck that guy up you know and your dad would just be screaming at you while you are like before you even did it he'd be screaming at you for that or he'd be screaming at you to get off the ice for a line change or he'd be screaming at you to get up because you got hit and you were kind of trying to sell it there was the same things that he yelled about and it, it was funny because he wasn't one of those super like yelly hockey dads or anything but it no. was always the same shit get off the ice mm-hmm. either you've been on too long or you're you're fucking you're you're milking this, this get up you know potential penalty or what you're trying to do or selling it my favorite was uh if some guy took cheap shot at me or something i didn't see it or something he's like hey 16 yeah 16 he yeah. would just like yell it from the stands at me and and tell me like a number and I'm like I, I got you man I got yeah. you yeah always looking out for you yeah um, you know it's funny because when 
you know, when, when we got the news and I was with my, my parents uh, at their house and, you know, obviously goes without saying too, Lesko, they, they wanted me to, you know, let you know that they were thinking of you and your family a lot, yeah, you know, of course. in that time. Um, my dad, he said, geez, you know, my, my biggest memory of Randy is yelling at Adam. He said, yeah. <laughs> like I said, but I think that's a nice thing. Like not a bad thing. Like, Oh yeah. My dad used to yell at me. All the yeah. time. Like it was in a good way, you know? And actually my, my dad went so far as to say, I've got three memories that really, you know, stick in my mind with Randy. And he listed them. He said, number one is that time that our van broke down and Randy came and picked us up. He said, do you remember that, Josh? We were on our way back from a tournament somewhere. Side of the highway and somewhere. Side of the yeah. highway and the van broke down and Randy came and we all crammed into the vehicle and we took off. I said, I, I, I literally don't remember that. Like yeah. He said, well, I remember it. So he said, I remember that big time. And he said, number two, yelling at, yelling at Adam. And then number three was, I thought it was an interesting story. Uh, I guess our two families were going out in a, we were at a tournament in Sudbury. And our two families were going out for dinner. And uh, Randy said to my dad, we don't have a reservation here. And the, the place was just packed, people waiting outside. And Ra Randy said to my dad, we don't have a reservation. And my dad said, oh, it's okay, I'll figure it out. And uh, my dad went to the podium or whatever. And he said, Coleman Insurance, party of six or whatever we were at the time. And Randy, lo Randy looked at him and then the, the lady said, Oh, I, I don't have you on the list. And my dad said, well, I booked it weeks ago, so we should be on the list. And then she went and got the manager and the manager came over and said, oh, I'm so sorry. Come this way, gentlemen. We'll, <laughs> we'll set you right up. And then once they got sat down, of course, we were there as kids and we all got sat down. And my dad said, Randy leaned over and he said, I've never seen that one before. <laughs> so it was a fun little story there between the, those two, because of course that's, I mean, we're talking like what, 15 years ago or more. Yeah. You know? oh, so, yeah. Well, like, they're, they're even longer than that, probably like 20 years 20 ago. 20 years man. ago. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're obviously a lot younger as well. Right. So, yeah. uh, I thought that was a, I thought that was an interesting, uh, little story and some of the things that stuck out in, you know, in, in my parents' minds as well. Yeah. It's cool to hear that. I've, I've obviously heard a lot of, you know, neat stories and, and stuff like that from people. And, you know, and, and we've done a lot of reminiscing as a family over the few days, you know, that we spent together after and, and, uh, yeah, just just lots of lots of pleasant memories to draw on, you know. And I think those are the things you got to focus on to keep you going. Um, it's been enough negativity over the past several years in, in in dealing with the sickness and everything and everything that comes with it and all the challenges. Um, and I think we always did a good job of keeping things positive because it's like, yeah, it's the elephant in the room, but we're not going to sit here and talk about it every fucking day. Right. Like, let's talk about the Leafs. Let's talk about the news. Like, you know, a lot of our conversations always actually, like we didn't have a lot of difficult conversations with one another. Right. Mom got sent in for that shit. Mm -hmm. Right. It was always, you know, we talked about the Leafs or we talked about baseball or we talked about the news or current events or something or, you know, work. Like you always want to know what's going on at work. And, and that was kind of the way, the way things went between us. And, you know, as a, a different relationship for sure. Um, but I appreciated it. And, you know, as much as I longed for playing tennis and going to the rink together and, and doing that kind of shit, um, I was still grateful to be able to, take the time to spend the time um you know even if it involved me taking care of them at the same course, time yeah. um 
I think that's the hardest thing is just realizing, like, looking past the shittiness of the situation and what you're seeing and, and not letting it dominate your your state when you're around each other. Mm-hmm. Because really, you could do that and, and you just wouldn't get anywhere. You wouldn't enjoy your time necessarily because you're so focused on kind of what's in front of you instead of the larger, more important time you have. Yes. And sharing anything together really like I don't know there's there's certain things that that definitely stick with me that he's told me and I guess maybe this will be a good couple things to end on I mean I could I could talk for hours about this and and uh and obviously anyone who's interested can feel free to ask but um there's a couple things that really stick with me that I think are worth passing along and the first thing he told me and this was when I was really young and I got uh I was, you know, I was a bit of an asshole when I was a kid, right? And I had gotten, no. I had gotten cut from rep hockey or something like that. And I had done something stupid, right? Like made an ass of myself. And mm-hmm. he says to me, he says, listen, son, he's like around here, a small town. He's like, I'm not from here. I'm from Toronto. He's like, we're nobody here. He's like, I'm nobody here. He's like, we're not fucking local business owners or lawyers or 10 generations of Valley people who owned mm-hmm. a farm. He's like, we got to make our own name. He's like, you have to make your own name. So he's like, every time you fuck up, it's a bad look on us, a bad look on the name, right? So he's like, this is, you got to take pride in how you conduct yourself in public and know every, everything you do, whether it was sport or school or, or anything. And so, you know, at the end of the day, he really made a name for us, made a name for himself and became a, a big figure in the area considering, you know, he's in charge of 3000 people at the largest employer in the Ottawa Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that he shared with me was actually something that he said in his retirement speech, which was also a very emotional and, and difficult day because here I was seeing a man finally a workaholic, finally give up his work only to not really particularly get to enjoy himself as right. he battled the disease. But he said to me, or he said to everybody, I guess, but we talked about it later, that the only margin for error here is 0%. That's what the, how he operated up there. And you think about it, you're dealing with nuclear energy, health and safety, stuff like that. That makes a hell of a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Because one fucking fuck up could be lights out for everybody whether you you know people causing injury or losing their jobs or whatever it is Mm -hmm. so that's something i try and carry with me and you know i'm i'm i might not be necessarily the perfectionist that he was but i try and keep that in mind in my day-to-day activities or work or whatever it is and it's just it's i think really what it is is you're giving 100 percent in everything you do and you're crossing your i's and dotting your t's you know you're being thorough and 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 so while it was difficult over the years sometimes to do this show or do the live show, for example, on that Thursday night, it's like I made sure when I showed up, sh- had shown up to do this show with you or, or whatever that I was I was ready to fucking put myself into it, mm-hmm. regardless of what was going on outside. Outside, so. yeah. You know, and uh, before we do move on to. <laughs> The deconstruction of another failed leaf season. Yeah, all this, the whole episode is just eulogies, basically. <laughs> Before we move on to that, dude, I, I really wanted to be, like I told you this already, but I wanted to be on the record to let you know that 
I would have done anything to have been there to, you know, pay the respects. I had to watch it on my phone, Mm -hmm. you know, and we talked briefly about how the pandemic causes a lot of differences for how we mourn our loved ones, how we pass them on to their next stage. Um, Maybe it's easier. Maybe it's not. It's probably different for everybody. Yeah. But, you know, I, I watched it on the phone. I watched it from the beginning until the end. I wanted to be there. Um, and I wanted to commend you for your incredible ode to your old man. Like your, your speech that you gave. I mean, I don't, I hate, I hate calling it a speech, but I mean, mm-hmm. I guess really that's what it is or yeah. it's what it was. It was phenomenal. You did a fucking beautiful job and it was incredible to listen to. I almost didn't want it to end. Like I wanted you to keep going because it was so good and well done, man. That's it. That's all I wanted to say. I mean, well, I, I don't know how that. you did it. I don't know how you did it. I don't know if preparation is, is easier than, like you said before, like a, like a phone call and it's sudden, right? Which which I think most people go through mm-hmm. when they lose a parent, a hero, mm-hmm. at this young age. It's usually a phone call. I don't know how you prepare for that or how you prepare to say goodbye in front of however many people are there in attendance, watching on their mm-hmm. phones or whatever. But what you did was fantastic. And I don't know how you did it, but you did it. And I'm fucking proud of you, man. And I think you should, I think you should take that with you for the rest of your life because that was something that I don't think a lot of people could have done. Yeah, I I appreciate you saying that a lot, and and I guess I do feel for the the people who couldn't be there and all that and had to you know watch it on their phones or on the computer or whatever, um, because that, you know really it's it's a lot of that's for them more than anything, and it right. and, and you know I I did say it was a bit of a blessing with the COVID restrictions that we didn't have to have this massive wake and everything. We will be doing a celebration of life later, and I will have a proper eulogy written because that speaking I did actually wasn't normally permitted in the church. So they actually gave me special permission to do that. Oh, and I didn't know that I had actually just not been in a frame of mind to, to prepare anything. You know, I had everything up here in my head, but wasn't able to, how do you formulate? Right. So I, I, I'd taken this letter that I had wrote to him two years previous that was on a, uh, I had given to him on father's day and it was on the suggestion of, of the social worker I was seeing at the time who said, you know, if you don't have a great talking relationship, as I alluded to earlier, not having a good history of difficult discussions with one another. So I just wrote him a letter. I just, about two page letter of just telling him everything that I needed to tell him just in case, mm-hmm. you know, cause at that point we really didn't know. And, and I felt like, I don't know, this pretty much says everything that I think needs to be said about him or, or Even how I feel. some more time had passed. Yeah, I, I, like I know for you, it was more in the context of, of my relationship with him, but I think it really encapsulated who he was as a person and yes. who he, and what he meant to, to not just me, but to people in my family as well. Um, so it, it, it made it easier for me. And um, I, was, I was strangely calm. Like after we got in there and sat down, I was... I calmed down. I don't know what it was or what 
what made me the church. Like I hadn't been in the church in over 10 years probably, but for some reason I was calm and, and that carried over to the speech. And, and as I talked about before I had given it, I was like, I had spoken at his award ceremony when he won the Harold A. Smith Award for Outstanding Achievements in the Canadian Nuclear Industry and at his retirement party. And I fucking bawled both times. Really? It was super emotional. And then maybe I was just out of tears that day or, or sure. what, but I, I, I took my time. I, I breathed, which is sometimes a problem of mine when I'm speaking publicly. And so it went well. So I appreciate the acknowledgement on that. And, and I did receive a lot of people who did appreciate it so i'm glad that it was liked because it was it i didn't like honestly it sounds stupid but i didn't put a ton of thought in it i was like i i'll preface this and i'll close this out and and that'll be that and yeah. i'll read this because it's it was all i had the mental capacity to do at that time you know and it was something that you had already put into words previously right so you know now that being said you never had to read it at his goddamn funeral right but you had already formulated those thoughts. So it right. was more it was familiar. I yeah. Guess, it was a little, a little familiar. familiar to you, you know? So yeah, either way, man, I, I just, I thought it was, I thought it was unbelievable. I mean, you weren't crying. You had me in goddamn tears. Wow. Watching it. Like it was, it was, uh, it, it was really good. Like it's, it's tough to try and, you know, pat you on the back for giving a great speech at your dad's funeral, but like right. it was, and you do deserve it. And I appreciate like, that. I, I hope that that, I hope that that's something that, you know, you're not going to go put a billboard up on the side of the road. Hey, I did a great job, but you know, I think it's something that you definitely need to take with you for all time, whether yeah. you've have your own kids or whatever, man, like right. that's, that's important stuff. And yeah. I think it was awesome. It's tough when, when, you know, your dad asks you to do something like that. Cause you're like, you know, okay. Yeah, but I guess I, I don't, you know, I guess I wanted to in a sense, but you don't want to think about it when they're still alive. And it's funny because he had asked, he asked my uncle and he asked his best friend and they both politely declined. I'm like, oh, so I guess I'm just the best third round pick there ever was. <laughs> and third times he time. starts laughing and then he types out on his iPad. He was in the hospital at the time and he said, he said, no, I just asked my brother out of respect. <laughs> <laughs> I knew he'd say no, so I asked him anyways. Right. I'm like, all right, well, put me up a notch there, I guess. Jeez. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was difficult, but the only, the main, my main focus was like I need to do him justice, and I need to I need to make sure that, you know, like, again, he did ask me to do it, so I need to do it, even though probably going into it, I was like, I don't know if I can fucking do this. I don't have no idea how this is going to go, you know, and given my track record with dad speeches, it was mm -hmm. terrible, so... Yeah, but I do appreciate you saying that, and I appreciate you know all the support that you've given me and and everyone else. Um, and I understand you've been since since day one of the podcast, man. We've been dealing with this you've hospital visits and us having to reschedule the show or delay the show, and you know start our live show and then have to drop it all of a sudden. It's yeah. it it sucks and everything, but uh, you know he he really enjoyed the show so and he enjoyed hearing us. He said it always reminded him of when we were kids because it was the same thing, just talking nonstop about <laughs> hockey and the Leafs. So I'm glad I'm glad he really enjoyed it. And, and uh, yeah, so this one's for you, Dad. And now listen to us uh, do a show that we've done, I feel like, uh, at least a few times. And that's... Uh, Every year since we've been together. The uh, hooray or boo the Leafs are out. Time to... Uh, 
right there right there eulogy yeah fucking well okay well, i'm a fucking new one here all right. so well listen uh no perfect segue from that to that but nope there's no way to do it thank you to the listeners the viewers for you know sticking with us here as we were as we were on hiatus i don't know exactly what our schedule will be like going forward to be completely honest with you let's go um we had we had planned for a bit of a guest run so you know uh pulling on some former guests that we've had on the show to talk about the Leafs and their playoff run well of course lo and behold the the Leafs are out of the playoffs so we had so many plans <laughs> we so, had many, so plans. many plans right um but that being said I still think that it would be great to continue uh, a guest run we don't have to be on every single week we can talk after the show is over about that but I, I think I'd like to continue on these airwaves because this off season for the Toronto Maple Leafs um, has there ever been a more fascinating off season to whether you whether you want to use the word look forward to or anticipate or wait for whatever phrase you want to use is this not the most fascinating off season that we are about to embark on a hundred percent I mean the it got a whole lot more interesting because they lost this series in the fashion that they lost this series. And the, the hot takes and the things people are putting out there, like we're at a point in time here where it's like the offseason was going to be interesting already because right. of the turnover. And, and we've talked about a lot about with so much money tied up in these four guys that you're just going to have to be interchanging. You're going to have to have guys who are essentially interchangeable parts. And it seems that that's where a certain degree of criticism has come down on management for is saying like, this is unproven, this idea that you can have this much of your cap tied up in these players and that it's not a recipe for winning. Now I would counter that and say that the Pittsburgh Penguins did do it and have done it on more than one occasion with a large percent of their cap, Um, not to the equivalent, obviously of what the Leafs are rocking right now. Um, But yeah, man, I mean, I guess right off the top here, and this is a, we, we we had the same conversation last year. It just feels like we're doing the same same show almost. But play the tape. Does does one of the big four go? And obviously, a lot of people are not too happy with Myron. And I see a lot of people, you know, saying that last last game we'll see him in the Leaf jersey. I don't believe that to be true. I think they'll all four will be back next year. But if there was a more tradable. One and it, and this is a cap friendly exercise, but a lot of Marner's contract, or I think over thirty million, has already been paid. Yes, um, he seems like the most tradable asset, especially after William Nylander found an extra gear in the playoffs this year, and and was I did exactly what you would have wanted when Johnny T went down, and that was stepped up and and found that extra gear and and played a, an incredible two way game. He was the only player that we would have otherwise expected to be good, okay? You can't expect Jason Spezza to be one of the best players on the roster right. in a seven-game series. If he is, like, let me... You're not going to win a series. <laughs> well, no, I was kind of going to go the other way. I was going to say, let's go a month ago, let's go, as we were gearing up for the playoffs, and someone from the future came and told you that Jason Spezza was going to be one of the best Toronto Maple Leafs in the first round. I would have been concerned. 
Yeah, but I'm that's lo- how it was last year. But I'm, Columbus, but I'm right? looking at it the other way, meaning hell, if Jason Spezza shows up, well, and then plays amazing, else well, then we're like amazing. Yeah, exactly. We're sweeping them. Yeah. Oh, but you forgot to tell me that he was one of the only players. One of the only. It's a very short list, so maybe we'll get that out of the way quickly. Bright spots for the Maple Leafs. Uh, so we got Jason Spezza, Morgan Riley, Jack Campbell. Okay. Jake Muzzin until he went down. Hyman after game one. Yeah, Hyman. Hyman had a slow I feel like start. Hyman must have been going like seventy-five percent. Hyman had a slow start, but yeah, in game games two through six, Hyman was going, and even and even in seven, Hyman Hyman was noticeably more energized. He had some chances for sure. He had puck possession. He wasn't making any boneheaded plays. The plays didn't die right. on his stick like they did with some other guys on line that line. Of his, yeah. You know, I'm not saying he was amazing. Yeah. Okay, but I would I would throw him in as a guy that deserves okay. less blame, I guess. Did we say Brody? Because Brody's Brody was good. Brody was fantastic. Brody was fantastic. Talk about better than advertised, right? Who were the worst ones? That one's okay. more fun. That one's a little more fun. Okay. <laughs> okay, so like I'm going to start Who off. Did the worst? I'm going to start off with Mitch Marner. Marner was the worst. I am not going to, and and a lot of it has to do with expectations. Okay, of course, huge season for him. Top five in the NHL scoring. Same with Austin Matthews. I thought Austin Matthews was good in the first three or four games, maybe. And that was about it. Mitch Marner, I was dumbfounded, dumbfounded at some of the plays he was making. It was like, I guess, how I would explain what I believe happened with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner is that, and it happened, the same thing happened against Columbus, is that when the game gets tight checking like that and they play a team that sole focus is on shutting them down, they don't cope with it well. They're used to the open ice, the you know glide around stick handling, the one touch passes. You know, like I kept saying to Mitch, I was like, "Get your feet moving, get your feet moving." He's walking over the blue line, stick handling like he's got all day. You don't have that time in the playoffs, and it's it's that that change the playoff hockey that they didn't adapt to, and that's why the two of them failed. Okay. So are we, <laughs> there's so many ways to go. I don't even know how to record this podcast. No, it's We've a- had so much time to digest, and I still don't even know how to record the podcast. We should almost have recorded a separate podcast live. We should have just live recorded ourselves talking about what the fuck happened. Yeah. Because I have a lot to say. Like, I think this is going to be a long show. Because I have a lot to say. I don't even know when I want to throw this in, but I want to tell you about my epiphany on Saturday. Because Saturday I had, sucked. I had an epiphany. Saturday sucked. I stopped watching that game with 10 minutes left. I just started getting up and doing stuff. Because I'm like, this is fucking garbage. Like, I'm at the cottage on a Saturday night, and I'm not fucking letting the lease bring me down. And I, I, I read it some way you posted, and I'm sure that's what you get into. What did I post? I will preemptively tell you that I I feel, felt the same way. What did I post? You, you said that they robbed me of my childhood. My childhood fan. Yeah. 
Like, I was the guy they who... They took it from who, me. No matter what, I watched the game to the very end. Very did, end. My dad and I would do that. We'd sit on the couch, and mom would be like, ah, yeah, fucking leaves. Yeah. Saying all fucking leaves and get no up faith. and leave. And me and dad would be like, no faith, no faith. Yeah. Like, And I was always that guy. Yeah, come on. Like, you know, cheering them on, whatever. And it's like, they have put me through so much shit in the last five years especially that I just couldn't do it again. And I knew they were losing. I knew it. Even when they tied up, I'm like, ooh, glimmer of hope. But I still didn't feel good about it. And ap- and it was after game five, the way they showed up in that game, when they could have just dusted them and been done with it. I was like, this is not good. Game seven, I wasn't even excited. I was not excited for that hockey game because it was like a foregone conclusion. Mm-hmm. That was sad. All right. Let me break it down for you. Saturday is happening. The game is on. It's game six. See, a lot of people are saying what you're saying, that when game five happened, that was when the concern settled in. And I, I did see a lot of people, you know, saying that I knew the series was over, you know, for Toronto. Um, I knew they were going to lose after game five. Like, I mean, maybe, maybe just be a little bit honest, okay? Nobody actually thought that the series was over Mm -hmm. because we lost game five. Mm -hmm. Concern? Fine. Level of concern was off the charts. Okay, fine. But for really though, like no, it we, was, but we still had six and then I seven. Know, but it's and just, this team was supposed to be different. It was the way they played, dude. Yeah, it but was they just the, played three great games. They okay, they nothing. played a bad who cares? They played a bad game. But they had nothing in a game where they where they could have just done it. You know, they had nothing. And in game so it was game six is the first time I said the words out loud, we're done. Okay, but that's what I'm saying, dude. So Game five. Game five concern, was concern. Okay. That's fine. But we weren't done. No. And Saturday happened. I'm putting the finishing touches on the little deck thing there. Did you see the little deck thing? Did you even notice? Pretty sweet. So I'm putting the finishing touches on the little deck thing here. And I am drinking from like 10 a.m. on. I'm having a ton of ciders. I don't know if you noticed. I'm big a huge, day shift. Big fucking cider guy. So I'm pretty lit. Game is on in like an hour. And I go, I said to Kirsty, I am like a child today. I said, I am so excited. I am, it, it's, it's like I'm, it's like I'm 15 or yeah. 16. I still had a glimmer of that When excitement. they were good. Yeah, where I was like, we could finally fucking slash the narrative tonight. It's game six. Yeah. That's why I texted you. Yeah. Like, dude, you're in mourning. I don't need to be telling you about my erection over the yeah. Leafs. But I texted you and I said, I need your permission because I'm, I, I, I'm going to need to do something. I'm going to need to go live and if it's on the podcast show or my own page, I wanted to talk to you about it. You said fucking give her if they win. Oh, yeah. Because I told you and I meant it. This was a huge opportunity for everyone. The, the, everyone. We would have felt so good. Okay. <laughs> and, and there's an hour to go. And I said to Kirsty, babe, we're fucking doing it. We're going to do it. For the, like and, and I, like I'm even feeling it right now how embarrassing it is to be like 
we're gonna win a series. Like, yeah. who cares? But it wasn't who it was that cares. Belief, right? It wasn't who cares. It was like, man, I'm gonna get to see a second round for the first time since I saw a vagina. Like, I, I saw a second round before I saw a vagina back in the day. And now the the comparison in the two are fucking not even one and the same. But the, you, you see my sign, okay? The the viewers that have watched our shows, and if you haven't watched our shows, go to the Pucks and D podcast Facebook page right now and check it out. And while you're checking us out, follow us on Twitter at Coleman42, at Let's Go Adam, at Pucks and Deep, or at Puck Potter, whatever the fuck it is. On that sign, on the other side, it says, Go Leafs Go. And it's got a big, <coughs> looks like the Canadian flag, but yeah. it's got a leaf. It's unreal. I'm at the end of my fucking driveway at 34 and a half years old with my big ass sign above my head getting honks. Just like, a, as how, pe- many, how many fingers did you get? Oh, dude, I had one person drive by. It was amazing. I had one person drive by and then they fucking started honking from way down there because I had my JT jersey on. Oh, I'm yeah. drinking a pint. And like, they're ripping down the road and the guy's laying on the horn and the passenger, like, Gets halfway out of the fucking window and he's just double, double <laughs> thumbs down, boo, boo. And as he drove by, I'm like, yeah, you love it. Yeah. We're going, you know, like I could not have been more excited than if I was 15 years old, all right? <laughs> and the game is on, the game is happening, the game is not going well at all. All. Oh my goodness! And I am extremely concerned, but I'm also still calm because it's still zero zero. Jack is playing fantastic. These are the things that you need yep. to win games in the playoffs. So overall, I'm okay with it. And then the goal, and then the random talk, like like they were gonna challenge it. Yeah, that was. That was absurd. Is Sheldon Keefe going to challenge this play? And I'm already walking around the garage kind of like, fuck's sakes, they score first again, man. It's okay, though. It's only one, you know? And they're like, are they going to challenge it? And I'm like, what? And Kirstie was still in here, and so was Archie. They will come into the story very shortly. Kirstie's like, yeah, they're challenging it, babe. I'm like, what? I look over. They are officially challenging the goal. Toronto is challenging the play for goaltender interference. And I am like, what? Yeah. Okay, like, not good. I, not my reaction good. was not good. Not my, good. My reaction was not good. And that was a, a crazy, stupid gamble that they made. I'm going to get to my reaction in a second as well. Uh, you have to bear with me as I rant through this. I do apologize. Just drink your beer. But, like... I don't react well to the challenge. And then the challenge comes back in four seconds. Yeah. Play on the ice is confirmed. We have a goal. Toronto is assessed a two-minute bench minor. So I'm fucking... Way to go, Sheldon. Way to go, Sheldon. I fucking stroke you off all day long. And you challenge what you do to me. the worst fucking challenge in the history of challenges. And we go on the penalty kill. I go, all right. I kind of calmed down a little bit in this moment because I realized I overreacted. Kirstie did not look happy with me. And right. She was right. And she was right. So she said to me before, she does not like watching big games, playoff games. She does right. not like watching them with me because I'm too emotional. Right. And, I'm, I, and I get angry. Right. So I kind of have been taking that all in. 
and I'm like, I'm overreacting right now. It's game six. I'm overreacting. I'm just going to sit here and watch. I sit the fuck down. And Mitch flips it into the stratosphere. Again. With nobody in his like, area code. No pressure whatsoever. Okay. I can't believe how many times I said, Mitch, what are you doing during this series? Dude, I lost my mind hole. I lost it. I fucking was walking around. I didn't like break anything, but I was like, I was like. I was angry. Screaming. Yeah, and I, I was, was angry screaming. too, man. I was angry. I punched the garage like, door. Angry. Not very hard, yeah. but I punched it. And I was yelling, and I turned around, and Kirsty has Archie, and she's putting his collar on him, and they're getting the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> Did your dog get scared when, he, when he you was, yell? I didn't realize this because I wasn't there. He was on the couch. Yeah. I was up and about, but... Like, Kirstie didn't even say any words. She just took the dog, and she went inside. Right. And then, ultimately, the Leafs come back and tie the game. So, I immediately texted Kirstie after my outrage. I texted her, I am sorry. Because I was. I was sorry that I I'm reacted sorry, that way. I just sometimes I get and, scared. And scared of being a nobody. <laughs> scared of being a nobody. <laughs> but in that moment, Lesko, I realized that it's time to grow the fuck up. Like like dial it back on the dial it back on the dangle level on the, fandom. Dial or? it back on the emotional right level. Right. Because I'm not dangle. I'm not on TV. I'm not podcasting. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that dangle is is putting on a show. I like no, dangle. No, but, exactly. But, but exactly yours. And we've always been this way. Like I've always been this way. Like way too emotionally invested. Way, way too, too over much. the top in the in the moment. Just like. Like I've fucking I've thrown shit, you know. Like I've reacted very poorly. Very to a poorly. lot of things that happened, and and this time around, it was like, by the time they lost this game six, I was like, well, serves you fucking right, you know. Like I, it, I don't know. It, it's it's not objectivity necessarily, but I think it's what you're saying. It was like, man, I am getting like maybe it's because of what I just went through too. But I was like, I am way too. I cannot let the Leafs dictate my fucking mood. Because my exactly wife it. said to me too, she's like, when the Leafs lose sometimes, like, fuck it, I'm out of here, I'm going to bed because I don't want to listen to you fucking bitch about it and, and you pout about it and whatever. And yeah, man, like, going into game seven, I was so apathetic. I was like, I was fully prepared for them to lose. And and even game six, I had like, especially after that abysmal period and, and with the challenge and all that shit, like, third period, you like, going into it, and she was really preaching to me. She's like, "Come on, you gotta have faith." Like, you know, they're you know bringing me back to to who I was. It's like, right? You gotta have faith. You know, they can do it. Sure enough, they tied up, and I'm like, got a little bit, but trying not to get too excited. But she's like, "They're gonna win. They're gonna win. Come on, like, yeah, okay, they're gonna win." But deep downside, I'm like, they they're fucked here. They're fucked. Like, they just they didn't deserve to win. And and in a sense, in a sense, it's almost good that they didn't win this series because they didn't fucking deserve it. They didn't fucking want it. Now, that's probably not entirely true, but you get the point, right? Well, they didn't show like they wanted it. I can tell you that much. And what it, what it boils down to me, like part of my meltdown, like I'd say f- five minutes, five minutes after my meltdown, I had messaged two of my Facebook group chats and I 
I told, I kind of want to read the messages back like after, but like I basically told them that I'm a fucking idiot. Like my life, what does this, what does this team have to do with my life? Really nothing other than the emotional and financial investments we make. Why do I have a tattoo of a blue leaf on my shoulder? It's literally... We're all 18 it, months. It's, it's true. That's exactly <laughs> when I got it. It's literally the epitome of wearing the team on your sleeve, except yeah. I wear it on my shoulder. Yeah. You know? And it's not like I am prepared to move on from the team or give up on the team. I will always love the team. But when the fuck are they going to love me back? Right. And I can, you know, every year you got those, I'm done and I'm burning my jersey and those kind of cats. And and I also thought it was like, is, it, is there an age? Because like a lot of people have gone most of their lives like this. Is there an age where you're just like, fuck these guys? Like think there about can't the people be because there's the people 80s. older than us. But there's people in the 80s and 70s, though. You know those real jaded fans where you think they're almost hate-watching the team? Like, oh. all, when they will lose, like, oh, I told you they fucking sucked. Dude, like, there's a ton nothing. of total soul fans yeah, out there. Yeah, total soul fans. Like, it's like, do you even – why is this fun for you? Like, maybe maybe what it is is that you're getting some fun out of them losing just because and, – and, and, you know, I was almost that way when they lost. I was like – I was almost laughing. I was like, this is <clears throat> almost not – it wasn't surprising. Isn't that sad? How many noises did you make during Game 7? Very little. Like, Did you make any, though? Very little. Like I, made, I can confidently tell you that I made zero I noises. I might have sat up. From, I was lying down, which is something I never do during Me a game. Me too. I was lying down, and I sat up maybe twice for like a two-on-one or some shit like that. And I turned it off with five minutes left. I have never done that in a playoff game. Never. Never. Down 3-1, down 4-1. I've never done that in a playoff game. I put myself through that for both games. Like, I've I've watched... That is one thing that I am... I'm not chirping you by any means necessary. You are completely allowed to do that. But I am very... I'm content with the fact that I I didn't turn it off. I, I, I can't. I have to put myself through it. Right. And, I had seen enough like I felt like, you know. And, and after my epiphany on Saturday to grow the fuck up, uh, it was easy. And a huge part of me wanted them to win the game and the series solely for the reason that I would be able to continue proving that I am a changed man. Hmm. Like game one, second round. Here I am watching the game in the fucking crowd. Just having a time. Oh, Winnipeg scores. Fuck. Too bad. Hey, ah, look at Matthews, my boy. Like that kind of thing. Yeah. That kind of cheering. Like I, not, I feel like no, over- not yelling and fucking screaming and like, ooh, like, like people are going to make fun of me and it's fine. I deserve it. But I'm not like. I am definitely exaggerating. Like I, I did punch the garage like slightly, but that was like one time. Like the last time I did something like physically, you know, strange or whatever was, uh, I think my buddy Hendy and I were like, 
I don't know. We might have been like 18. I think it was. I was the. It was the game when McCabe shot it in the in his own net in overtime. The one thing we everyone remember, remembers him for. Remember he shot yeah. it off the post and against in. Florida too, I believe, where the team where he went to. <laughs> no. So the last time I did something stupid was uh, <laughs> I can remember like a, a like a physical outburst to uh, to a game, like other than throwing the hat, for example. Like that's nothing really. Yeah, I throw the hat. Yeah, uh, yeah, I throw that. Of course, my buddy and I were watching the game, and and, and uh, they were playing Arizona. This was probably like two or three years ago, and they had a shitty game, and they were tied going into overtime. And they went to a shootout. I think it was even it was going to overtime. And Mike watched this. I was like, Peter Holland. They just let him go on waivers earlier in the year, and he was playing for Arizona. I was like, OT winner or shootout winner. Mark my words. Co-host of Leafs Lunch. Fucking goes up. And buries the shootout winner. I was like, I fucking just fucking goddamn it. And I like took one of my kitchen chairs and just fucking whipped, like just whipped it down to the floor. Like you didn't like pick it up and throw it, but just threw it down yeah, to yeah, the floor. Yeah. You have to do something. And sometimes. my wife and my buddy are just sitting at me like, but they were kind of laughing because I had called it. I said, Peter Holland is going to score the game winning goal. And he goes and scores the shootout winner. And I'll remember that game mostly because of, I guess, the circumstances. And it was just so leafy, right? It was that what we call leafy, right? right? The guy they just let go on waivers who was not good enough to play for their team, come and bury them in a regular season game, so on. Well, friend of the show and co-host of the Shanna Clan podcast. My condolences on the name choice there, boys. Uh, <laughs> Alex Hobson. He would absolutely love your quirp their quip or whatever the fuck it's called. What's a quirp? Like a, ch- a chirp? A, qu- a quippy uh, chirp? I don't know. It's a quippy chirp. So your little quirp there, patent pending, uh, about leaf things. It's just leafy. He loves just leaf things. You know, if a player played for the Leafs and he's coming back to the Leafs, he's going to score. You know, Cole Caulfield comes in and he's going to score. Like everything that can go wrong is going to go right. wrong for the, the Leafs. The things that will bring you the most pain. Yeah, they're going to happen. Um, Andrew Raycroft comes out of retirement next year and faces the Leafs in game seven and shuts, shuts them out. out. <laughs> exactly. You know, like that's a just Leafs thing. Yeah. Um, so he would really enjoy that. And I used to, I used to vehemently argue that and like hate it, openly hate it, chirp them about it, tell them to stop bringing it up all the time. Because you know what? It was one of those things where it's like when you exaggerate and you say, oh, man, every time I get in a line, it's the longest line. Right. That's not actually true. Sometimes there's no line. Yeah. You don't factor those in. So same thing when, when leaf things don't happen when you thought they should, you don't add that to the graph. Yeah, you're not yeah. – <laughs> you, you remember the times it happened. The graph only shows the times the that it happened. That so it's on a 45-degree incline. It's always going to happen to us. But – I think that's what bothered me the most about this particular loss and why we're seeing such crazy reactions. Like we're, I've even heard media members like, like, and, and respected media members, not your fanboy media guys, being like frustrated talking about the Leafs. They've, I don't know if anyone listened to the Leaf report. I think going into Game 7, like Myrtle was like frustrated. Like I can't understand why they can't get this done, Right. And and every look, go look around. Every analyst, every anybody who's anybody, picked the Maple Leafs to win this series. Yes, uh, like even the the nerds had them at like an eighty percent fucking <laughs> winning, right? So like right. no one called this, and and if you did, go fuck yourself. Like you just you just you know you're just being Montreal fanboy. Like nobody actually called this. 
you know, who's actually trying to predict the correct outcome of the series. Right. I think what was really discounted, though, is is the fact that that Montreal did and has claimed to build their team for playoff hockey, and they showed that in that all they had to do for the Leafs and just do exactly what Columbus did last year: low event hockey, good goaltending. They got both, and what happened? What happened? It fucking worked for them perfectly because the Leafs they get frustrated real easily, and like. That's that's a common thing when you're when you're playing inferior competition, and you're the better team. You get it doesn't matter what the sport is. You get frustrated when you're not putting up your cookies and getting on the board, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when you, I mean, the last two weeks of the season, were they dummying them three times, right? Mm-hmm. Like they they had no problem lighting up Price and the Canadians, and all of a sudden the well, Canadians, Price wasn't playing there at the at end. the end. Yeah, that's correct. But all of a sudden the Canadians come in with a completely different game. But they plan. still dominated though. Yeah, it's a completely different game plan, and they just play shut down heavy hockey, and like, and and it it led to reactions by the Leafs, but adjustments that they made might not have necessarily even worked in their favor because there's there's one thing I noticed when they were having troubles, um, maybe about game six, was the amount of times they were flipping the puck out of the zone, yeah, turning over the puck because they were just either gassed or they they had to shake the forecheck. And that was Montreal's relentless forecheck. Like I know we haven't haven't given halves their, their proper stroking yet, but I mean they executed exactly what they needed to do per, to perfection, and it worked. It was close to not working, but it worked in the end. And that like I the Leafs reverted back to something I hadn't seen in a while, and that was them not playing their possession driven game and their zone entry driven game. All of a sudden they reverted back to flipping the puck out of the zone dumping it in, which we already know and have talked about at length, that they suck at. They suck at playing Mike Babcock hockey, dump and chase. But what do they do? Okay, Montreal's lining up five in the blue line. We're going to start firing it in. But the retrievals weren't there. The puck battles weren't there. The skating wasn't there even to get to the puck to have a puck battle a lot of the times. And once again, I was so frustrated to watch that because it's like, why, why are we adjusting like I understand that okay, you got to do something different, and that's the natural reaction. But it's like, don't you just keep doing what you do right and, and hope that it comes through? Because that seemed to be the philosophy from Keith's standpoint for the lines. Because he didn't take Marner away from Matthews, and people were screaming for it by game six. I'm pretty sure game five even. Yeah, I'm. I'm not gonna let Keith off a hook here because of my bias and the fact that I do still believe that he is the guy or can be the guy to get the job done. But I'm not removing him from blame whatsoever. No, there's there's two glaring things here, and that's the lack of lineup adaptation and the, the not fixing the power play, which is are the glaring, glaring obvious things here. Um, you know, you figure, okay, they're having an easy time shutting down our one line. I, I understand you know, I, I looked at it from the other way. I was, sometimes I just try and look at things from the opposite. Why why wouldn't you put Nylander with Marner or with Matthews? And I thought, well, Nylander is driving a line right now. And you put Marner, who's having a fucking terrible series, on that line. That line becomes a liability. Oh, huge now, liability. That's that's a good angle. It, it's it's And it's not entirely fair because Marner and Matthews were fine defensively. It's not as if they lapsed there, which might even be what you expect 
oh shit, those guys didn't back check him when they cost us a goal. It's a really good point as well. So they, you know, Two really what it, what it boils down to, and it's funny because there's so many narratives here at play, but like we got great goaltending, we got solid defense, okay? The big guys didn't get it done. And when you have that much money dedicated to those guys in the cap and they don't get it done, with Tavares out, all of a sudden you got three. One of them performed. The other two didn't. You can't win like that. You can't because the supporting cast, unfortunately, was not good enough. Felino being injured obviously was a problem. Him, They never really got what they bought with him, unfortunately. But you can't go back and say that was a shitty trade. At the time, we were singing its praises. And in hindsight, 2020 bullshit like that, it was a good trade. And, and even with the offseason signings, Sam and Thornton, all those guys, Bogosian, we were all like great signings, great plays. And I still don't disagree with them. But when you're going to have replacement parts filling out your lineup or plugs, and you can't rely on those guys to get you through. And they did. Kerfoot, um, Spezza, they got us by in a few games. Yeah, When absolutely. the big boys didn't put up the points, they got us by. All we needed was one fuck, we needed one goal from the big, go- uh, big guys and the series would have been over. Yeah, that's true. One goal. Yeah. One goal. Like, it's not like... It's not like the games were 4-3 and, and 3-2 and 5-4 and the only lines that were scoring were the bottom six. Okay, that's a different problem that we could be talking about. Why didn't the top six score? And everyone, everyone else was scoring. Why couldn't you guys get a couple? Because that's what we needed. We needed some games where they wanted to fucking go to the shootout with us. Well, they bring that, bring, bring, bring that kind of gameplay on. And it leads me to... My my question my my question to you is: Am I crazy for thinking that we could have had a better chance to close out a series like that against any other team that is a scoring team, a fast-paced transition playing, right. fucking fast? Let's get up and down the ice as fast as possible. Because there would have been more teams? openings. Yes. There would have been more openings. Why but- we play fucking Columbus last year and all they want to do is suffocate us. Exactly. And they did it. And uh, you know and what? playoff hockey, right? But they played harder against they Columbus. Did. It just didn't go it was yeah. ping it was save yep. it was ping it was save now in the montreal series it was pathetic yeah. there was no effort if we would have had half of the effort from the columbus series we would have won in game five but yeah. they didn't they had a shitty effort and in those but, three but games montreal did the same thing to us let's go they wanted to suffocate us yep. and they did it why can't we play a fucking team that wants to try and score <laughs> goals we actually have a good goalie now yeah it was interesting because it's like I, I kept saying i was like montreal looks like they're playing for the tie you know what i mean they're mm-hmm. just they're they're playing down to a one they want a one goal game get a bounce they get a bounce they get a break and you know it happened in game seven they got it they got a bit of a bad one there on, on campbell and then they get they you know in game nice six turnover from in, Mitch on the in, play. Oh yeah, and they get and in game six they get the 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 fucking challenge and all that debacle to to capitalize on that opportunity. But um, yeah, it's 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 so interesting because and, you know I it, it really felt like a lack of effort at the time and a lack of heart and, and and intangibles things that you can't necessarily measure. But to the eye test, you're like this guy just doesn't have it. And I like felt that way about Marner, but let's be honest here. And like I'll, I'll almost reference what Shanahan said earlier today was that these guys care. They do care. Like 
they, it's not for a lack of caring. It's not for a lack of effort. Oh, come on. They're but crying. I, you know they care. But I think it goes back to what I said early in the episode in that they did not adapt well enough. As, as elite players, you need to be able to adapt to different situations. Not everything's going to be regular season, fucking backhand sauce across the crease and tic-tac-toe bar down. Yeah. You just got to find a way to make it happen. And that's where you got to find the extra gear that maybe we saw from Willie that we didn't necessarily see from the other two. Yeah, because it's, they are better. They are better hockey players. Right. So just if they would adjust and play accordingly to the situation, you feel like they would have prevailed, right? <laughs> wow. I, I, just, I don't – I can't believe – we're doing this again. I know. Well, I can. It's very believable. And I also thought that <laughs> I also thought that putting some time between it actually happening and today doing the recording, I thought for sure that it was going to be easier to do the show after this had already fucking happened. But it's it it's not and I don't know – I mean, obviously, the listeners right now, they can hear it in my voice. I, I, I'm obviously never out. You know, I'm never going to be out. But on specifically on Saturday and then confirmed on Monday was my inner childhood fan is is now out. I don't – know if I'm going to be able to find it again within me to like to like care nearly as much as I do and I wanted to ask you about people ragging on you like your your friends your coworkers, your second cousin your your uncle's friend that you met once at a bonfire and he has mm. you on Facebook and you haven't talked to him in seven years That's and he sent and he sends you a meme yeah yeah right like I didn't, every, I didn't get every, much of that to be honest everyone knows that I love the team so so you're the guy you're the target for that stuff oh man because you wear it like the so you're the target for that and it's funny because a lot of guys I talk to about hockey are other Leaf fans for the most part I right. would say um you know, notwithstanding some people who are tolerable because the kind of people that are like that, it's like, I don't want to talk to hockey about you. And I enjoy the rag and and the back and forth and like, you suck, we suck, well, we both suck, you know? Yeah. Like, which is a lot of the case when you're dealing with Montreal and Ottawa fans locally here. But, um, yeah, it's it's maybe because the rivalry and everything so heated, and the rivalry was heated. And it's funny because I did, I didn't rag on a few Habs fans, but I said like, oh, well, you know, uh, uh, take care of yourself because you're going to need it. And like, cause at least we're up and things were rolling and things were looking good. And they knew they were lucky to be there. I think in the first place, you know, yeah. and, and stuff. But uh, again, like, you know, we don't talk about enough full, full credit to Montreal, but it's not like they had to be world beaters. You know, like it's not like they produced a ton of offense. It's not like Carey Price even really had to fucking break a sweat. You know, like Carey, everyone's stroking off Carey Price and he does deserve it. He played very well. He was playoff Carey Price, and he's. It just goes to show what kind of like athlete he is. Big games, I'm there, no matter what. But it's not like he had to fucking stand on. He had to go Hasek in '99 to win that series. I mean, <laughs> no, he just Jack had, had to, better numbers. And Jack and Jack was great, so it's it, that kind of to me negated the price factor. The it fact did, that it did. the fact that Campbell was was great. So 
it wasn't, and you know, I guess that one goal aside, I, I, there was one play that pissed me off the most for sure, and it, maybe it was because of the heat of the moment, but that Galchenyuk fucking turnover in overtime is gross. It is disgusting. It's the worst turnover I've ever seen. And if, if you did that in the first period of the regular season, I would have gotten upset. So which do you think was more egregious? The Galchenyuk terrible turnover or the Mitch flip into the universe? Ooh. Ooh. That's a tough one. Which one for Mitch? Because there was the chop. No, no, no. The, the, the five on three. Okay, the five on three. That was, the, that the, was the, fucking bad. The moment that I embarrassed myself as a human being. Right. It was it was maddening. Obviously, I think just because the moment was the um, was the uh, the, the Galchenyuk blunder, and the Mitch one was was more dejecting because at that point I was like, I'd already been like, they're fucking screwed. They're in here. trouble. Not only have they had an awful game, but this shit just happened. A a fucking goal and then a bad challenge. The and worst then, challenge. Yeah, the worst challenge. Let's call it what it is. <laughs> So, like, could there ever be a worse challenge? Well, it's like in in life. It was funny because it, it, I don't. And for the Leafs not to play the percentages is a weird thing. Just let it go, man. It's one. But they we play well from behind anyway. I know, and it's like they went. They looked at the footage and they said, "There's a chance." But I feel like they felt like I felt when I watched that clip, where it's like I don't know if this is goalie interference or not. Because how, he wasn't even, he was in the corner. Well, that's the thing, because Campbell wasn't in the crease. Voluntarily. Now, had Campbell actually made an effort an effort to get to that shot? Perhaps. But he didn't. But he didn't make it, like, there was no contact. And I think by the rules, it's contact. It's not just being in the crease and being in his way. It's yeah, not it's not 1999, guys. Exactly. So, <laughs> I feel like they just took a, a shit gamble on that call. Like, it... It's, I just, I, dude, I fucking unraveled. I unraveled to the to the highest degree. Well, it was like, what is going on here? I was so mad at Sheldon, and I, and, and then and I was so mad at Sheldon, and I wasn't even done being mad at Sheldon, and then Mitch fucking flips it, and then <laughs> it just, I, I just imploded. Yeah. I just imploded. Way to go, Mitch. Yeah. That's way to go, Mitch! I just kept yelling it. Fucking way to go, Mitch! Like it was just done. I was done. It was just the worst. It was yeah. the worst moment in my life as a Toronto Maple Leaf fan. Was Saturday. Monday was the easiest day I've ever fucking had. Feet up, laying down, almost fell asleep during the yeah. second period. Yeah, and 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 it's it's part of the performance that that and I'm, I try not to harp on Martin too much because I think Matthews deserves an equal share of the blame. But, oh, I want to talk to you about that, but. With Mitch Marner, it's like over the last five years, he has the highest points per game of any Maple Leaf. Okay, so he's been there, yeah. And he's come up big for us, yes. But in these last two years, when when again the circumstances change, you're not playing Boston or Tampa or a team that plays a similar style or offense to you. You're playing a team that is strictly their job is to lock you down, and they don't cope with it properly they need to learn to play through that they need to learn to make adjustments they need to learn to adjust their game because that's what big players do when the big players get shadowed or they get double coverage what do they do they find a way to to 
pick and roll out of it or whatever they got to do, right? Like you find your way around it. And I like I, I said it the other day, and I'm not sure if I'm if I even agree with myself now. But I what what it led me to believe is There's that Mitch Marner changes. does not have it. It as in rise to the occasion. It what it takes to overcome adversity. Because what bothers me the most about this team is that every little shred of adversity that has come their way, they've fucking buckled. Yeah. Every time. Every time. And it's like, how many times has it happened before you're like, this is who you are? And I don't like, I don't like, and I believe the management feels this way too, to define a player based on that. Because I've, I believe that the Leafs believe in Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews. And I don't believe that they're going to trade either of them or even fathom those ideas. Yeah, we'll get to that in a I, moment as well. I think they will be looking to... I think they understand the way they've committed and and, and Caldeus has said openly, I've, I'll stake my career on this, that they believe in this core and that they'll believe these guys will fucking figure it out and work through it. Do you believe that? No. Ah, I yeah, I don't have an answer for you because okay, it's like, let me rephrase the question. Let me rephrase it. Can you believe in that? Can I believe in it? Yes. Okay. I can buy what they're selling only because I've put enough faith in them so far, and I can't argue with them because it's like, again, these guys—they're not kids anymore. They're twenty-three or whatever, twenty-four years old. They're not kids. But were but you an, a fully grown-ass no, man? I was a 20- retard. Yeah, exactly. I was an idiot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I so I I can definitely see where they're like okay there's there's maturation to come and and when you're so invested in these guys like they wouldn't have given these guys these big contracts if they thought that they were flimsy or they couldn't get it done or whatever. They have put their faith in these guys. They might as well ride ride them out and find out if they can figure it out. Right? And continue to to do what they did last year. Build a great team around them. Like again, we did not have a negative thing to say, I think, about any of the additions that they, they made in the offseason. Oh, no, Bringing of course in not. intangibles, toughness, veteran presence, size, okay? Truculence. Now, all of a sudden, the big guys don't show up, and we're like, well, where's all the Kapanins and Janssens to chip in with offense? But we sacrificed that for something else. But when the big guys don't get it done, you don't win. So you look at Tampa Bay. Yeah, sure, Stamkos was injured in the playoffs last year, but guess who showed up every night? Kucherov and Point. Right, there's no way the Leafs are going to win in any any series, any situation if the big guys don't show up. Almost solely because that's how you win in the NHL or in any sport, your big guys have to show up. Mm-hmm. But also because of how heavily they've invested in these guys, because so much cap is dedicated to them, there's not a lot of peripheral scoring going on here. Right? I mean, Angval Mikheyev, like they played. Good, I guess, but they weren't going to score. No, right? there was never going to get any goals from that line. But in an ideal world, like you just said, the goals come from the expected lines, and then those lines just simply don't get scored on. Yeah, or that, they chip in for the odd one, the that's odd also, big one, right? That's also how you win in the playoffs is your secondary lines or your bottom six, if you want to call it. You're not expecting goals from them, but you're, what you are expecting from them is to be even money. Yeah. At the end of the day, if those guys are even money, we believe that we'll win the game. And you know what? The other team says the same thing. 
if our bottom six is even money, then we think we're going to win the game. And that in itself is the ingredients that makes the playoffs. It makes it tight. It makes it hard to score. And those bottom six lines turn into checking lines and just don't get the fuck scored on. Get off when I call you yeah. and put our other guys on and because we're only going to score a couple. Yeah. We're only probably going to score a couple, so, so you, let's let's you get give them. your big guns twenty five yeah. minutes or whatever. Yeah. So so okay, listen. So um, Matthews and Marner, you said earlier. I want you to reiterate your your stance where you think that Matthews and Marner deserve equal share. Yeah, because ultimately they play together, and they were both abysmal for three games straight. And uh, yeah, they had their chances, and Matthews harsh, fired man. off a good shots. Um, I'll give I'll give Matthews the edge simply because of his uh, because he's a center, and I thought he was quite good. I mean, they were they were dominant in the first few games. You looked at the stats, like the advanced stats, everything. They were dominant. Well, the shooting percentage was low, okay, but you just the guys who you need to find extra gear are those guys, and they didn't do it. Yeah, so, I know, but you're talking about you're talking about variables that can't be quantified. Right. I want to talk about those that can. Okay. The fact that Austin Matthews led in shots right. for both teams. The fact that Austin Matthews led in hits mm-hmm. for both teams. Yeah. The fact that Austin Matthews led in scoring chances for both teams. Right. So okay, that's a good point. This and player, I did discount that. that this player. I did like the way he was playing, despite not scoring. Yes, thank you. So this is what I'm getting at, and I don't mean to finger you out of the crowd, but I no. But that's a fair point. It's not equal. You're right. It's not equal. Right. Mitchell Marner put forth a very subpar effort. There were puck battles that he didn't even engage in. Did, oh my god. There's the even... one play where he went up the boards and it was like the puck was behind him and he turned the wrong way and then just waved his stick out at like that was the other thing was the the forechecks died in the last few games. Dude, the flybys with the old stick day. I was just going to say there was one shit. there was one play I don't even remember if it was 6 or 7. I feel like it wasn't 7 because I was more invested in the game so it must have been 6 where a Montreal player was skating down the wing. He wasn't flying. He was, I think he just got the puck at a standstill and then started north. And Mitch came in and he had way more speed. He could have laid like a hit or he could have done something. But he literally just went with the stick. Like, like just kind of threw the stick out. Like, oh, I'm going to steal it. Oh, I'm going to steal it. And then, and then, and then just skated right past the practice stuff. I'm going to steal it off Stuff you. Stuff you do in practice. You just throw the fake well, stick there. It's and... kind of the smart play. Like, if I if I know... Well, if, you're, if, if you I know, know you're that, forcing him into something. Yeah, if yeah. I know that you're going to move it. And you know how you do that kind of... You do that Hail Mary thing where you go behind your back and see if you might be able to deflect the pass or something. That that, that was pretty much it. Like, he, he skated up to him, and then he just waved at him, and then he skated right past. And I said out loud, that's the problem. Like that, that exact moment mm-hmm. was the problem because not one player in a red, white, and blue jersey was about to let any player in a white and blue jersey move anywhere yeah. without feeling it. Like getting in their way at least at minimum. Make them know yeah. you're there. Yeah. And that's all it is. So as it relates to Marner and Matthews, so I deleted my socials for two days after Saturday. Oh, Everything. Nice. Um. 
it was a detox of well sorts break. while I reflected on my emotional state regarding right. the team. Ultimately, I come back for Monday, game seven. I actually rather enjoy it. I tell the boys I'm very calm. Some of the other guys were like getting fired up, and I was like, sorry, guys, you're not firing me up. Like, it just ain't happening. There was nothing exciting about that you game. Know? So anyways, um, but the one thing that I've done since I went back onto social is, A, be rational, I think. I think I've been very rational. And, and B, I've defended Austin Matthews. Mm. And I don't necessarily want to go on record and be like, Matthew doesn't deserve any blame. He's the best. Blah, blah, blah. But I do wish to separate the Matthews and Marner lump because I don't think it's deserved. And I heard the boys on Overdrive on Tuesday, which would have been obviously their first show. Breaking down. I think they led off the show with, hello, darkness, my old friend. Right? And, And I like the show. But the moment that Hazy B said that Matthews and Marner played terrible. And then I think Noodles, or not Noodles, uh, O-Dog followed it up by saying their efforts were embarrassing. Mm -hmm. Like, if I could have driven to the station, I would have to bust in or whatever and be like, what the fuck? (laughs) Like, Matthews' effort was not in question. Right. Matthews played a complete 200-foot game. The amount more, of times yeah. that he was in his own zone helping, yeah. I can't, I'd have to take off both shoes and, and then some. Yeah. Like he, he played a good game. He was a dangerous-looking player that couldn't shoot it in the net. And yes, you can bring that to me all day long, and he's the scorer, and he's supposed to do all that. Mm-hmm. But my, my gripe is with the effort level of the team. And I fully believe, and I will always believe, that Matthew's efforts, even in games five, six, and seven, where the team collectively didn't have it going, Mm -hmm. I don't lump Matthew's in there. Right. Because I don't think he deserves that because he laid the body and the stats show it. He fired the puck and the stats show it. He defended in his own zone and the stats show it. Mm -hmm. And people are giving him shit after shit and they're telling him that it's him and Marner like this is the kind of stuff that is going to drive this guy out of town nothing is going to drive Marner out of town because he is wants to be here as much as you want to say he didn't want it he's a fucking baby whatever you want to say about this guy Mm -hmm. he wants to be here yeah and we as fans we should want Austin Matthews to be here. Yep. And we shouldn't be telling him through our social media mediums that he played like garbage because I don't think he played like garbage. I am actually fully okay with the way Austin Matthews played right. in this entire series from start to finish. And I will stand by that until the fucking day I'm done. No, that's fair. You got me on board, and, and it wasn't fair necessarily to, to lump the two together because you're right. Like the way the way he played the game, I don't necessarily have a problem with. Well, I guess what ultimately ends up being the problem is that he, he didn't only score. scored one goal, and that's <laughs> no. that's the one. He's got to score. That's the one thing that you have to. I guess you have to to hold on to out of this series is that. Part of the reason why they lost is because he didn't produce at the rate but that let's go, was expected. You, you of him, also right? have to lead by example, right? And, and which, he did he that. He did. He did. Did play. Mitchell Marner lead by example? Not even close. Not even close. Mitch Marner should, at the very least, 
lose his A. Oh, I'd be I I I would be publicly taking it off his sweater and stitching it on Jake Muzzins or Zach Hyman's. Yeah, if pick he comes back pick or one. But yeah. that is not a leader. No, it was it was very and you know what did it didn't do himself any favors, especially with the fan base today. Was his his post or his uh, locker cleanup, whatever you want to call an interview exit, where he was basically just seemed like he was fucking uninterested and feeling sorry for himself. Yeah. He didn't do himself any favors there, and he probably was going to hear about it from the PR team or even Kyle Dubas himself because he was so super defensive and just. I understand there was a lot of shit and a lot of people coming at him. And yeah, that fuck, power play thing. And fuck all you people who who come at players on their socials. Your, oh, your dicks. We don't even need to say it. Like, what do I you, guess we do. What are you, though? fourteen years old? Like, yeah. come on, grow up. Um, but I understand how he's sour and he's pissed and all that kind of stuff. But it, man, you, you get interviewed for five minutes. You gotta you gotta put on some kind of a some kind of a shtick. Here. You know what's coming. If you want to piss and moan and be a piss baby, go fucking do it to Dubis in your exit interview when he tears a strip off you for, for what happened at the end of the year. And, you know, okay, maybe he's going to go, oh, well, I fucking racked it up in the regular season and whatever. But at the, like at this point in time for this group and, and all Maple Leafs history aside, like unfortunately they have to wear this, right? They have to wear this fact that he hasn't won a series in 17 years. They have to wear 17 wear years. Cup since Some of them are barely 17. Right, exactly. And But... <laughs> If there's one thing I think they gotta wear is that it's been five years. There has been a uh, like last year was just the exact same shit of basically underperforming. They had need to own that, and I felt like I felt like Riley did very well when he spoke about post game, and and Matthews did to a degree, Muzzin, but. I felt like Mitch was super dismissive, and I just felt like he didn't do himself any favors. Like, because if I'm Kyle Dubas in the exit interview, I'm like, Kyle Dubas, he's not supposed to be on the finger of the pulse of what the fans are saying, but I feel like upper management and the fans are on the same page here. Oh, Dubas is, man. Dubas is very active okay, on social. Okay, we, we made a wonderful, wonderful regular season, but right at this point in time, the regular season don't mean shit. No. It doesn't. You've been here five years. It doesn't mean shit. Okay, and I'm not saying just win around. And they and a lot of players said that the expectations were higher. We had higher goals. You know, uh, Spet saying like I believed in this group and and saying they were special and and we all we all bought into that. Everyone bought into it. Everyone thought the Leafs were coming out the north, no problem, right? And by all accounts, should be still playing against Winnipeg Jets tonight. But if you don't show up, it ain't happening. And you need your best guys to show up. You can't have one guy take a night off or a few games off when one guy's already been injured. Yeah, And that's kind of what happened here. Like I said, you have four guys. One goes down to injury. You don't plan for that. You can't counteract that. We said this when we did Pucks in Deep Live. We said Sheldon's been experimenting line combinations all year, but he, I bet you didn't plan for a fucking Tavares injury five minutes into the first game, right? But we're still better. Still better. Oh yeah, not not using that as an excuse. I'm just saying it. It fucking threw them for a loop, and I think it definitely dented the confidence of the boys. Speaking of using it as an excuse, I'd like to take that segue to point out the fact that it's completely ridiculous that people want to start talking about the John Tavares injury. Like, oh, I saw one tweet today, and like in a normal world, I guess it would make perfect sense, but. You know, the tweet said something like, 
when is it okay to start talking about the fact that the Leafs didn't have John Tavares? And like, I don't think I replied, but maybe someone else, I can't remember, but it was like, never. Yeah. It's never okay. Ultimately. Because, because, because they responded by being dominant. <laughs> they responded by controlling the series, completely taking over the series, and telling the world that yeah. we can do this. It was, it was, but it, they didn't. It's unfortunate too because there's been other clinching opportunities for which they've come short. Obviously, two games against Boston, one game against Boston the previous year, and one game against Columbus. But and then obviously three against Montreal. There should be a separate stat, by the way, for elimination games that aren't seven, like. Like chances where only you, only you had right. chances to eliminate. Because yeah. then in that case, I think there's three mm-hmm. total. Yeah, so because it, it's in those other games, it was like they were they were well, they weren't the favorites. It was like there was good for them to be there, basically, mm-hmm. right? But with this, it was like it was like what is it like ninety five percent of the job was done. I know. All they had to do was fucking clean up the last five. You know, two games in a row, you're you're you had about a period of being a goal away combined. Yeah, it's just it's so shitty that you know, really, like you said, it does actually come down to a bounce or two or a play or whatever the fuck or a terrible turnover by Galchenyuk. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse right, me, right? But yeah, it's just it's just tough to think it comes it ends up coming down to that, and you can't imagine how it eats at them because you know, us fans, you see the the reactions and the emotions and stuff with the fans and how they feel, how the players feel about it because they're the ones who have to get over it. And, and we've spoke about this on the show before. And I think after the last time they had that abysmal showing against Columbus last year, where you're like, it's your job as a pro athlete to fucking dust your shoulder off and move on because you can't get hung up on it. But if you don't fucking, you can't just forget it though, either. No, because when you're going in, to Game Seven next year in the first round of the playoffs, you got to remember all those fucking Game Sevens and be like, "Hey, you can't just put it all out." Dude, what are those you? games were shit. Forget it. You have to remember it to use it as motivation. What are you even gonna do if we're in Game Seven next year in the first round? Oh man, what will you even do? <laughs> I don't know. That that'll be a tough one. So speaking about what 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 would you even do? The man of the hour. Kyle Dubas. What do you do? You're Kyle Dubas today, June 2nd, 7.32 p.m. First things first, I ink Spetsa to another contract. And then I get to work on Zach Hyman. Hyman first. Maybe even. Hyman first. Maybe even. Because if you have to, if you're going to be one million over, then I like guess the Spets negotiations need to start immediately. And what do you want? Like, what are you, what are you, mm. like, what are you actually asking? It's like when you go to the dealership and the fucking brand new car you want is 48,000 and you're like, "Well, um we we all know that I'm not paying 48. It's a fucking car dealership. What do you actually want?" Mm-hmm. So break through that wall. What do we actually need to give you to stay here? And that question probably won't be able to be answered until well after free agency starts. Yeah, cuz we're going to need We to are see... going to be in limbo here for a while yeah, cuz they're going to we're going to see if Frederick Anderson walks, which ultimately seems to be the consensus here. No, but I mean um, from Hyman's camp, right? Like they're going to want to wait and see what the offers are because if yep. there's an offer that comes in and it's 5 <laughs> and it's 5.5 times 5, I think that's a lot more 
both on term and money, than Kyle Dubas is willing to give him. I think Hyman's 29 now. Are you willing to offer him five years? Someone will, though, to get him for the next... Someone will to get him for the next three. three. Exactly. But we won't be able to do that. They'll be able to go higher term and even higher dollar, probably. Because it's UFA, and people spend stupid money on UFA. A guy like Zach Hyman, who probably at, at best should get... Three times 4.5. That's the deal for Hyman. Right. Three times 4.5. But he will get five times 5.25 because because free agency. Right. And then we will lose the player. Yeah. And it's absolutely devastating. So how think, do you get in front of that? I, I think you just need to clear up as much cash space as you can. But you also have your number. And you're like, hey, if we spend this much on Hyman, max, we have this much for everything else. We can live with that. And you pitch him your best shot, and then you let him know the offers on the table. I think that's all you can do. But dude, he plays first line. Oh yeah, and and but they tried to bury him on the third. I I fully believe that they tried to bury him on the third to 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 maybe lessen the significance of his argument to say not only do I deserve more money because I'm an integral part of the team, I actually flank your Rocket Richard winning player yeah. who earns. Whatever Matthews earns, I don't even yeah. know. Ten Eleven fucking half, you know. Yeah, like so. So he has a huge argument to say. You are you literally going to give me peanuts next to the gold mine that I helped create? Yeah, because I'm telling you, not to take anything away from Austin Matthews. You know much I, how much I love him. I, I fully believe that Zach Hyman is a huge, huge factor yep. in Austin Matthews's. Success dating back to their rookie season. And the way I feel about it too is that the Leafs not only need Zach Hyman if they're going to be successful in the playoffs, but they need like three more of them. You're right. So Blake Coleman. It's a bad start if you if you can't retain him because then you're not only looking for your three Zach Hymans, you're looking for four, right? So they're they're gonna have to, like I'm talking about like you know who they should be type of players that they should be targeting as their quote unquote plugs for for next year. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they bring back Simmons on a on a decent contract like a million or less basically. Yeah, because I think he's fine on a fourth line. Um, I I think they might lean a little faster on the bottom six. Um, I know they had a lot of speed in Engvall and Mikheyev, but outside of those guys, not really. A bit out of Kerfoot when he was down there, but yeah. I, I think they might look for a bit more speed there with the hopes of a, of a you know some potential more offensive output um, throughout the year. It's not as if they got abysmal numbers of their bottom six, but when push came to shove and your top guys weren't going, they sure as fuck weren't scoring either. So yeah. it made it pretty tough. So, I mean, there's there's so many ways that Dubas could go here. Yeah, I, I just see it as more of like I know lots of people are saying, oh, you got to blow it up and trade Meyer and stuff. And obviously, Meyer is the most tradable, and I wouldn't be shocked if he got trade. It would be you know huge news to be a blockbuster of sorts. But come on, it's a very would, high you just risk. Say you maneuver. wouldn't be shocked. No, I don't think I would just because just because of what he's done and and yeah, but think it, about the general manager. It almost, it almost goes. Kyle Dubas is going to trade Mitch Marner. I don't think he is. You'd be. I would be shocked. But I would. I would not be shocked in that it would be similar to the Cadre situation, where it's like fans are this, asking for it. No, this guy's fucked us. Like, if you think about the last two playoffs, Mitch Marner has been 
a ghost and that it's just like all right we we've seen we've seen what you can do here and yeah, but dude, we're then, not a fan then oh i'm going to hate myself for saying this but i'm going <laughs> to say it anyway you learn from this you 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 hit the off season and you tell intact insurance to shove it <laughs> and you hit the gym and you hit the ice and you fly down with your buddy Poppy, Tony, Mustachio, you fly wherever he's flying, and you meet up with Connor McD, and you dangle around, and you become a better professional. Because at this point in time, the only thing that Mitch Marner needs to work on right now is his ability to actually be a true pros pro. Right. Dedicate. Right. Put your life into your craft. Because earlier you said that you didn't think that Mitch Marner had it. And I'm glad I'm coming back to this because I had a rebuttal and I forgot it. Now I remember. I agree with you that he may not have, you know, that that gene, that clutch gene or whatever you want to call it. I think the best way to that I would describe Mitch Marner from not knowing him at all but just watching him play and even watching his early highlights from when he was little and then in junior, I would say that Mitch Marner is so comfortable and used to being the best hockey player on the sheet right? at all times. So all growing up through and everything when drafted. Superstar stud. Superstar stud. He's the best player. Like, yeah. you just give the puck to that guy. Number, I guess he was 93 back in the day when he was little. Like, give it to 93 and, and, he'll, and he'll bear it. And he was the best player on the ice. And then when the playoffs roll around and everyone literally gives 110%, the sports cliche, it's actually true. There's giving it your all and there's giving it even more than you actually have. Yeah. Give it everything. Do it and shit then you would normally do. And that doesn't happen from Mitch. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't happened in the past and it didn't happen this year. And call me crazy or call me insane. Captain Encino, if I believe that Mitch Marner can change and can start bringing it maybe on another he, level. Maybe he just needs to grow up a bit. Because and honestly, this is the offseason like to I do said, it. Given, given the, like, the way he plays the game and his – I understand he's likable and he's jovial and all that kind of fun stuff. And look at Mitch. He's like a kid, blah, blah, blah. But grow his, up. his attitude – his, and I'm talking his attitude. So, I mean, his attitude in his profession towards the game and, and based on, especially based on the way he reacted today and how defensive he was and how butthurt he sounded. <laughs> his attitude is, a, is, to me, personally, a problem. And, like, whether the players like him or not, I could see that being a problem in the dressing room, that kind of attitude. Because not so much on how maybe other people feel about it but what it does that guy's got an a on his jersey okay what it does to the guys around you right like how does it how it rubs off on people i guess is what would concern me and like it doesn't help his public image either no it doesn't and especially you know you want to go squeeze the team for every fucking dollar man they're going to be loaded up and ready to pile on to you when shit hits the fan like it just did and Oh no! You happen to be like the poster boy wearing the, the fucking the bullhorns or whatever you want to call it. 
at the end of this debacle of a series. Yeah, I mean, like like I say, call me crazy or insane or whatever you want, but I like as much as I seemed to briefly profess my resignation as a fan, and I would like to clarify that it was never a resignation as a fan. My feelings are being partially resigned. My emotions are you know, partially being withdrawn. So, you know, when I was, let's call it 10, I feel like 10 is a good age to say that, like, that's when I became, like, actually invested. Like, I love the team more than I love some of my family members. <laughs> you know, like, I love the team. I love them so much. It's my team. Like, I did, I used the pronouns. Right. We, right? <clears throat> um, It was just, it was, it was, it was taken from me in that moment. Right. And I I don't, I don't really know how it'll come back, but I can tell you for sure that next year when the playoffs roll around, I'll definitely be all in. So to speak, I'll probably be able to Jersey up again. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't Jersey up for game seven. I reluctantly Jersey. It was the first time. It was the first time that I did not jersey up. Hmm. I didn't have it on. And, and now I know why they lost. And it was, yeah, sure. <laughs> but it was it was kind of like that another, it was another like validation moment where it's like, I'm just watching this game as a general fan of the team instead of what I used to do, which was watch the game like like a member of the team, mm-hmm. like the way I would imagine John Tavares might be watching the game. He actually is a member of the team, so and he's way and, less emotional than you. <laughs> yeah, he most definitely is. You know, so it'll it, it'll be a really interesting off season. But what I can tell you is, I am excited for the changes to be made in the off season, and I also am excited, and I hope that. We do, in essence, run it back with minor tweaks, bottom six, mm-hmm. fill out the D, get a well, nice... Well, the D was great. Get they a were, nice they were cheap... A good storyline this year, yeah, even like, in the playoffs. Right? Get they, a nice cheap um, B backup for, for Jack, and, mm-hmm. and Jack gets to come into the next year with a fucking great team, the same team as last year, basically. A few new faces, a few young faces, maybe a guy like Nick Robertson elevates. Obviously, he... You know, I think he's got the skill to to potentially challenge for a Calder. You know, you get him in the lineup, he starts playing great. The team is looking good. I, I I'm I might have to delete my socials and just do the shows with you <laughs> next year come playoff time because one thing that I've always struggled with and I think I will always continue to struggle with, even though I profess to have emotionally removed myself a little, I'll always struggle with those Totoso fans. Right. Those those negative Nancys, we're going to lose. And then when they lose, they told us so. Well, at the end of the day, what's the fun in that, right? There like, is well, no There's fun. no fun in being a fan. Like, again, you're hate watching them. I and mean, you don't, and to me, you don't actually like the team, the team or enjoy watching the team. It's like, you know, we, we've been privileged to watch Austin Matthews and a, and a great team for a good team for a good few years, I would say. And, it's just ultimately disappointing because I think we were all on board. We all bought in. We're like, this is different. It's going to be different. The results the same, but we can't 
we can't be like, oh, well, last year's team and this year's team is the same. They were far from the same. No. Right? Far from the same. Last year's team played way better. We can't. <laughs> We can't spin. We can't spin the narrative into a, like a oh well the Leafs are the same even if it's 1982 or ni- 2002 and 2022 like you know we, but that's what we do right like we we create storylines we create narratives we carry baggage as fans and we can't help but think like well it's just the same as it ever was but like this is this wasn't the Castle Leafs like those guys were were limping around and were fortunate to be where they were. James Reimer pulled a Hamburglar. Yeah, like the 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 Leafs of this year had expectations on them. That's why it stings so bad now. And we've gotten accustomed to having a team where there's some expectations around them. And that the, 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 the expectations aren't going to be any different next year. I just think fans are going to be less willing to buy in. I think we're going to be... Reluctant. Very reluctant. Like, <laughs> it's going to be, oh, you won the President's Trophy and first in the division, better than Tampa, and sweat boss in the season Great. Good for you. <laughs> Talk to me in round two, buddy. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> Just as long as you're open for business in round two, I guess. But then, like, we even said that this year, round two wouldn't, be defined as success. No, and definitely now, not. And now in hindsight, I would have taken it. I, I would have taken and, it. And I would have taken it. And I already knew that, <laughs> but I knew it, I, it wouldn't be a success in the grand scheme of things, right. given the expectations and all that. Right. But yes, I would have taken it because it just wouldn't have given us some, it would have been one last meme coming our way, you know, on a regular basis. And, and really now I guess the pinnacle of of Leaf fandom is right now because of what's happened over the last few years and in the last 10 years and the last 60 years or wherever it's been is that they're they're literally the laughing not only the laughing stock of the NHL but they're like laughing stock of like professional sports right now. I know. Like they are this story but they were before when they were in the basement. And now we're yeah. and now we're and now reliving we're good, it all now again. Now they're a good team and they're still the laughing stock, not only of the NHL, but the sporting world. And that's, that's a whole new level of like shit that the players are going to feel. But so man, like you got Stephen A. Smith ripping the Leafs. I know the Steve, Dallas Cowboys. Guy the guy knows nothing. Dallas about, Cowboys of Canada. Nothing about hockey, but yet it's so click worthy. We'll call it. Will you, or will you won't accept the notion that I'll put forth to you right now that this loss will only make the victory even sweeter. Oh, I'll probably cry. It's not even, it's not even, oh, I, I would have, I, I would have cried. I was already before this. I was year. already thinking about like, how, cause they were close. So I'm like, man, if they win the series, like I'm just going to be so fucking happy. Like, and I'll take it to the bank. And, and if they lost next round of the sweep, I'd be like, well, <laughs> we got one. Well, we got over the hump, you know, though. Even though it was like, uh, it really, again, not a, not a success necessarily. But uh, we'll uh, call uh, it a, uh, an emotional success. An or exhale. A, or like a, a meaningless success, we'll call it. A moral victory. A, a moral victory, which in sports means jack shit. But right. for, for us loser fans, it certainly... It certainly takes on a life of its own and, and means something to you at the end of the day. But honestly, like, can't feel like a bigger loser than the goddamn Maple Leafs right now. No. Those guys are losers. Like, this is pro sports. 
And if you, if you don't accomplish anything when it counts, nobody gives a fuck, right? So you talked about losers and, you know, being a Leaf fan. Earlier, I brought up social media and I kind of wanted to just touch back on that quickly because I had more on that one. We, you, you started going off about Carey Price and I didn't want to stop you because he, you, you did twice now in this episode, you did a good job to actually give Montreal credit. I haven't even said it out loud. No, I don't think, yeah. And, and, and fine, they deserve credit and all that fun stuff. They played great. They did, they did their job. But, but, but at the same time, we didn't do ours. Mm-hmm. So whatever. But you talked about losers. I had three separate, completely random people send me a DM over Facebook to chirp me after the Leafs had lost. Like they dug you up from some they old dug me thread. Up. Oh, yeah. They dug me up from old an old takes, thread. or old takes. Sure, whatever. Yeah. But again, that, that's something that I have to live with because of the fact that I do wear the team on my sleeve. See, that's, that's a loser move. However. Like, so people like you don't even know. Don't whatsoever. know them at all. No, not even on your friends list. Not on my friends list. See, that's they, a loser move. They like, live, they live in, is, in Kamloops, BC. And they live on the internet too. And they clicked on my name and they wrote something about the Leafs suck. That's funny. It's so, funny, but it's a big loop. I move. think I think it is psychotic. Oh, because for sure. Let's be honest here. What is more disappointing and pathetic than actually cheering for the Toronto Maple Leafs? There's not a long list. It is already hell. It is already the worst. Especially when you are a kind of fan that loves the team like I goddamn do and professes their love for the team like I do. And I'm already suffering through this team being miserable and pathetic. And you have to go on there and fucking move your mouse around and click on me and then give me the goddamn gears. Like, that is a whole nother level of being a fucking complete and utter asshole. It's a whole nother level. Because when anyone, like, I love the Leafs, right? But when was the last time that I went out and, like, verbally attacked another fan base? My, my shtick, my shtick is the Leafs are great and I love them and bring it on. Leafs are the best. Kyle Wellwood or whatever, you know, (laughs) like I don't go overboard and say they're going to win the goddamn cup all the time, but I love to, you know, get in there and just, and just say goalies go. Like sometimes I just type G L G and then there's 187 comments after G L G because I do believe that I have established a bit of a presence and people are like, Oh, there's that fucking Josh Coley guy on Facebook. Like he's always got something to say, but what I always have to say is always just pro Leafs. It's very, very, very rarely anti your team unless you brought it up first. Right. Then I'll go it, at you. I find that crazy though that somebody actually take the time of like remembering Three. you or like bookmarked you. I'm like, I'm gonna get this guy when the Leafs inevitably lose in the playoffs this but year. But they lose every year. But like, what are you doing, man? Right. Like, I'm already miserable. Like, what are you doing though? Well, I just think it's just it's ridiculous though. Like, it's. I don't know who has, who has the fucking time for that. I, well, I mean, I have the time because I like to go on there. And like I just told you, I like no, to go on there. No, but I mean the time to actually like be like, hey, yeah, this guy pissed me off here on that TSN article. It's like, I don't remember. 
Um, got his name booked. When the Leafs lose this year, inevitably, which they will, and that's a pretty safe bet. I'm gonna fucking get him, and I'm gonna tell him. I'm gonna tell him about how bad the Leafs are, and I'm gonna make him feel like. Shit. One of the guys that messaged me sent me like 18 fucking memes. Wow. It was just like me, 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 me. I didn't get to see them all because he was like, in, it was in many, my spam so folder. So like, I say like how much time you have on our hands. Like how many people do you think he did that to? Because it couldn't have just been you. Oh, no, of course not. But he probably has actual friends and family members and coworkers. I don't think like this leave. person that's has fair. friends or coworkers. But that's or fair fans. though. Like if you want to go. I don't and, think this guy has actual friends. If he had actual friends, he wouldn't be messaging you fucking randomly on Facebook. Like, but even like even someone like that tool. I even someone that I, I, I do have on Facebook, but I haven't talked to them in forever like they added me from a mutual friend and i'm like yeah i know who this person is maybe so just fine, people you know? just like to go on and spam that shit like they had to send me one i i wasn't even aware that they knew that i liked the leafs i mean i guess i have it in my profile when you click on it or whatever but like i've never i've never been in front of this person or in this person's ear and talking about the leafs and talking about how good they are and talking shit about your team i don't do any of that but yet we all collectively just get just get dunked on. Dunk after dunk after dunk fucking postered. Postered. You guys are down on the ground fucking postered. We haven't even won a series. I don't understand where that desire comes from to make everyone feel extra pain. I think it's I think it's terrible. Like I've never done it. Sense fans I know that love to chirp it's the Leafs. I've never given it to them. I gave it to them back when we used it's to beat in, them. But that's different. Oh, We're playing them, though. That reminds me. That reminds me. You talk about the early 2000s Sens when the Leafs beat them three years in a row. Yes. Are the Leafs the early 2000s Senators right now? <laughs> because it sure looks that way. Remember what we used to say about Ottawa when the Leafs done? No heart, no grit. Fucking can't get it done when it counts. And we had great, the heart. Great regular season team. Can't all these talented uh, uh, guys are bums in the playoffs. Hosa. Where we call Hosa? Playoff bust. Playoff loser. Can't do anything. Marion Hosa, who's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer for winning three Stanley Cups. We were talking about him when he played for Ottawa. Like he couldn't get. He would never win. Didn't have what it takes. Alfredson, Spezza, uh, Heatley, all those guys. Like. <laughs> Just Tarrant, uh, Chera, all of them didn't have what it takes to win. Bunch of bunch of softies. You're right. With, that was the early 2000 centers. And what I think it was after the Leafs finally didn't beat them, they went to the conference finals. Well, they never, Anaheim. Yeah, but they, like, ne they oh, never beat us. We weren't even in it. No, we weren't in it at that point. Oh, we were, seven, we we were, were in deep it. in the post-cap JFJ years. But you're so right, though, dude, because we were like that Pat Quinn team and we talked about this with paul hendrick check mm -hmm. that episode out as well available wherever you podcast paul hendrick absolute beauty absolute beauty. um you know we talked about that team like that team was built for playoffs yeah they were built because the, there's something to be said for knowing how the nhl playoff works and it's so different from the regular season namely the penalty aspects of it um i mean you saw Canadians taking full advantage of it, running interference at every opportunity. You know, so well, much... we couldn't score on the power play, so who cares? Well, it didn't matter anyway. The power play is <laughs> fucked. But uh, <laughs> there's that whole aspect of not understanding how how playoffs teams are built and played, and 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 there's something to be said for how Montreal has built their team, and say how Lou Lamorello built built that Islanders team. Said we're not gonna necessarily outscore you guys. 
on a nightly basis or, or four times out of seven, he's like, but you're going to pay the price for every goal. You know, we're going to make you work for everything and we're going to take whatever we can from you. So I think there's, there is a lesson for Dubis in there if he chooses to find it. And that's how do you build a team that is successful in the way the playoffs are played today, not how you think they'll be played in the future. Yeah, true. Because true. They, they have built a team that has been an unbelievable regular season success. Great. Figured out how to make the playoffs. Wonderful. But do what it. they haven't solved is how do we translate this team into a playoff team? Because the way the playoffs are played against teams in the first round like Columbus and Montreal, and you figure out we don't know how to handle the situation. Yeah. You know, and it's gonna ha- a lot of it's gonna have to come within like the, those big four. You know, I, I and I would want to say all of them because, um, namely, what it's we saw it from Willie, we've seen it from Matthews, we've seen it from Taveras. Hell, we've seen it glimpses of it from Marner. Yeah, in yeah, previous yeah. playoffs. Yes, absolutely. But they're gonna have to fucking figure out how to adapt to that. That's really the the ultimate conclusion here. And Dubis is gonna have to do the best he can to bring in the ideal supporting cast year after year. Because that's the reality of them being a cap team now. Do you think it would have been worse if we got swept? I was thinking about that. I was going to ask you: Would was it would it be worse to have got swept like Edmonton did, or go through what we went through? I think it would have been worse to be swept. If we didn't lose three one, it would be, uh, it would be. It would be closer. Like I'd be like definitely good for game seven. Like what if it just went back and yeah, forth and then we lost seven? Yeah, game seven would have been way less, pain, way way less pain, painful than it was. I'd I'd still be I'd still be the my old fan. I'd still be my old childhood. Wouldn't a lot. Fan. Wouldn't have had your epiphany. Maybe it was good for you. It's gone. I don't know if it's good for me though. I'm kind of sad about it. Like now that I've now that I was I've openly sad, told the world, I was sad that I wasn't excited for that game because normally I'd be fucking all. You know, all on board, and I was just wasn't having it. Well, man, you saw my you saw my videos of me yeah. by the road for Game and, Six. Like I could not have been more jacked. And up. with the way they were, but the way that they played in Game Six, it was like like I said, foregone conclusion. It just felt like they had they had already lost. Like, but they didn't. They uh, didn't. Like they had a chance. I just knew they were gonna. I man, can't this, believe we're doing this again. I guess I'm so used to being disappointed in like the most. Unfathomable, unfathomable ways that it was unsurprising, and like I was just ready for it. I was just ready this time. So, on that note, are you ready to yeah, wrap? Yeah, let's it? wrap it up. We've been doing this for three hours or something. No, only two. Only two. That's that's up there. It's not bad. I thought it would be longer to be. I'm actually honest. tired now. Like I'm like physically and emotionally spent. So, I don't even think we got to all of it. Like I was, I was really pumped and looking for it, and maybe not because we we had literally no notes. We were just we didn't need notes today. No, I guess not. It's it's not as if there was a shortage of things to talk about. It's not like we need to like, all right, what what are we doing here? It's when we're kind of all over the place. Like definitely revisited topics throughout, but I think so. But I'm definitely spent. Like I I got it out of my system here. All right, well this show had two topics. All right, this episode eighty three. Pucks in Deep podcast. It's a wrap. Thanks for joining us. This one is for Randy. This one is for all you leafers out there. There's not much that we can say, but what we can say 
is that you should tune in to the Pucks in Deep podcast. You should follow the Pucks in Deep podcast on Twitter at PuckPod, at Lesko Adam, at Coleman42. Follow us on Facebook as well. Find us Pucks in Deep podcast on Facebook. Who knows? Maybe we'll drop a surprise video for you guys. Maybe we'll go live at some point in the summer. There's hockey. There's still hockey. Our videos did very well. There's still hockey to be watched and and talked about. So count on us to be here. And we always enjoy hearing from you guys. And uh, really appreciate all the support. And you guys listening. We'll keep her going. For you leafers out there. Keep keep on believing. Keep going because it's hope and despair. That's all we get. See you when we see you.